But it's good to have you all here and this morning as we take a look at some things in the Word about faithfulness. Oh, I'll tell you what, how we could just walk in a life of faithfulness because the, it is the faithful that are rewarded. I put up a note on Facebook here today that as much as I try to cover all of the Word of God and, and get into the uh, in places that uh, try, just try and keep it balanced, I always like to look up, you know, when did I cover this last and make sure we're not on the same thing too often. There are some places in Scripture that are certainly our favorites. But um, I looked up this one and found that I have only taught on this, just focusing on this passage, when we've done the parables, and that was twice over the uh, 30 years or so we've been here. So that's not too often, which is really odd because some of the principles that come from here are something that I refer to on a regular basis. I can, I do not have a week go by that I do not think about the principles that are in this, the, these uh, verses. I'm thinking, well, how in the world is it that we haven't, I mean, we've referred to it, but haven't uh, just focused on, on teaching this. So we're going to be over in Luke chapter 17. Last two weeks, we looked at the life of Naomi and Ruth. We saw how bleak things looked, but she stayed faithful to do what she knew to do, what was in her heart to do, to stay faithful, to worship in the God that she had learned about, and God turned her situation around. Same thing can happen for us. We stay faithful to do what God tells us to do, and He can turn all of our situations around. From where we are. But here, in Luke chapter 17, we're going to begin over here at verse 1. There is a parable in here that is not too often talked about. But it is a parable, and it is an important one. In verse 1, then his disciples, then he said to his disciples, It is impossible that no offense should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. Now, if Jesus is saying that something is impossible, how many of you think it probably is impossible? Because <laughs> Jesus is the is the uh, one of all possibility. He says, it is impossible that no offense should come. Now, first off, God's not going to stop people from doing stupid things and saying stupid things. And He's also not going to stop people, not able to stop people, from hearing what they want to hear. So in that situation, He's saying, people are going to get offended. It's going to happen. But He says, but woe to him through whom they do come. So you would say, well, if God says it's going to happen, but woe to him who does it. Man, that seems unfair. How many of you would say that's a little bit unfair? He knows it's going to happen. And when it does, you're on the hit list. You're on the woe list. Woe's not good. He says it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now, that, does, that doesn't sound good. So it's better that that would happen than that he, he should offend one of these little ones. Now, little ones might be little children. It could also mean young ones in the, in the Word of God, in the church. He says, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Now, how many of y'all know you don't have to get into the Greek to understand this last phrase here is a command. You shall forgive him. If God gives us a command, how many of y'all know we ought, we ought to do it? 
Now, I rephrase this first part for you, and you just have a couple of blanks to fill in, but you'll get this, just so we can understand it in the way that I believe it's intended. Offenses will happen, but you stay clear of acting in an offensive manner. Now, how many have ever been around people that have acted offensively? They've acted in a manner in which they don't care that they're offending people. They have spoken in a manner that they don't care that they're offending people. What he is basically saying is, don't act in such a way that you do not care about offending people. Now, some people are going to take offense to what you do anyway. That's all right. You can't control that, but you can control how you act. Be careful of the things you say. Listen to what it is that you're saying. We can tell if we're going to be saying something in an offensive way. How many of you watched uh, some movie on Hallmark? <laughs> you know, the other movies aren't worthwhile watching, but the ones on, there's ones on Hallmark. We got the, uh, Prime Video, or what's that, uh, what's that other one called? Pure Flix. We got that one now too. We're watching some, some ones on there. But, um, how many of you watch these, you know, nice wholesome movies, you know, nothing offensive, nobody uh, saying stuff they shouldn't, but somebody, some character in there says something, and as soon as he says it, as soon as he says it, what do you say? Oh, he's in trouble. Never seen that? He says something to the girl that he likes, or the girl says something to the guy that she likes, and as soon as the words come out inside yourself, you know, oh, they're in trouble. Oh, they shouldn't have said that. <laughs> you can just you can just tell this is going to be offensive. What the Word of God, what Jesus is telling you right here is listen to yourself first and don't say things that you know are going to be offensive. Don't do it. Now, you all know there's those characters they put in movies and it's nice when they put them in movies because then you can stand on the outside and watch them. Most of the time, this particular character is housed in a mother-in-law. How many, how many know? I'm not saying that all mother-in-laws are like this. I'm just saying that in the movies, if there's a mother-in-law involved, she is generally going to say things that offend people and not care. Didn't they do a movie about that? About mother-in-laws and the two mother-in-laws were going at each other or something like that. I don't know what it was called. I remember hearing something about that. Monster-in-laws? Is that what it was? <laughs> it was a, it was a great concept on the, on the idea for a funny movie. But, um, you know, both of those people in that movie, they were acting in such a way that, uh, they were trying to be uh, offensive. They didn't care. Now, I say I talked to you about it in movies simply because when you're watching a movie, you're objective. And you can sit back there and you can watch and you can say, oh yeah, yeah, they shouldn't have done that. But if it happens in your life, I was right. <laughs> That's why it's good to watch it, learn these things from the movies. I put this in your outline for you. If you cannot be an unoffended brother or sister to others, you will not be a faithful servant to God. Let me tell you this. Here we're talking about impossibilities. It is impossible for you to be a faithful servant of God and be offended. 
I didn't, mis- I didn't mistake that. I said it exactly the way I wanted you to hear it. If you become offended, it is now impossible for you to be faithful to God. Do you see why the Word of God talks about offense so much? And here in this, we're not even into the parable yet. This is just the, the lead up to. This includes my actions, the things that I do, but it also includes my feelings. If I'm offended in my feelings, if I'm offended and have actions born of them, either way, I will no longer be faithful to God. Now, I'll explain what what I mean in that here in just a little bit. But let me define some of this. Because once we define the whole thing for you, you're going to see, oh yeah, it's impossible. If I'm offended... It is impossible for me to be faithful to God. Let's go over a little bit of this. Um, He says here in verse 3, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Now, how many love that verse? Raise your hand. Come on, be honest. Raise your hand. If if the brother sins against you, rebuke him. How many want to put that right on your refrigerator? Right? I rebuke you. We, we like this verse because when we get offended, how many of y'all know we'd like to tell somebody about it? You offended me. Except that's not exactly what it says. I've developed the principle from this that I have carried on for decades. I carried on so much I don't even think about it all the time, but I get reminded of it. And I, uh, I bring this out. Now, I can't say that I've been 100% pure with this, but I, I sure work to, to try and keep it that way. And I'm going to give you the, the definition of this, of this, of this word rebuke here. It is a frank but gentle way of telling a person that they have done something you perceive to be wrong. It is not sharp. It is not harsh. Nor does it come out and rebuke them with the idea that I am right and you are wrong. It is the idea of coming, look, my feelings were hurt by this, but I may have misunderstood what you said. I may have misperceived the way that you you meant this. So that's the word for rebuke there. Now, I pulled that right out of Rick Renner. That's Rick Renner. That's why I put it in quotes. It comes right out of right out his definition for this. And uh, if there's a, a, a book, and we're not going to get into all the things that were in the book. We, we covered as a worship team. I believe I mentioned it to you all before. Uh, Brother Rick Renner has a book called Get Over It. And if you haven't read it yet, pick it up and read it because he's going to get into some stuff in there we're not getting into, especially when he talks about the mulberry tree or the sycamine tree. It's, um, it's some fun stuff in there. We're going to leave all that go. We're looking at something else in, in with this. So the word here, repent, it is a compound word. The first part of this word, you can see it there, is meta. How many of all know metamorphosis? What does metamorphosis mean? Change. The word meta is a word that means change. And we use it as an English prefix on a lot of words. It is a compound word that means to have a change of mind. So they take the Greek word for change, they take the word for mind, they put them together, and they say what this means is that you have a change of mind. You have a change of perception. 
I understand things differently. There's a change. that You don't just vocalize change, oh, I am sorry. It is a realization that what I did wasn't right. It is a change of mind. So this is what he is saying here. He is not saying that if somebody, if you go up to somebody, they've wronged you. And you say, hey, this was a, I didn't like this, this part has really offended me or however you want to phrase it. And they go up to you, oh, I'm sorry. It doesn't mean that you have to forgive them then. Because you see what he's saying? Oh, well, I was right and you were wrong and just get over it. <laughs> and this word here, forgive, is, let's, re, let's define it. The word here for forgive means to dismiss, to release, or to let it go. To dismiss, to release, or to let it go. There's some things you just need to let go. Not hang on to them all the time. That's the word forgive. So what he says here, let's read this again. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. In other words, if he repents, let it go. Just, it's gone. Don't be bringing it up. Don't be mulling over it anymore. Just let it go. That's what he's talking about there. Sometimes we're trying to let things go and we haven't gone through the process. We've got to make sure that we go through the process. So again, let's read it. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Contrary to public opinion, he does not say if he sins against you seven times on the same thing. He says if he sins against you seven times. I'm not saying that it doesn't mean that, or it can't mean that. But if a person has a change of heart, a change of mind, they're not going to come to you the same day and do the same thing. What is mind in mind here is if they do seven different things wrong against you, you still forgive them. Now, how many have ever had somebody do seven things against you in the same day? In which, let's qualify this, in which... Once they did it, you rebuked them according to the word. They repented. You forgave them. And then it happened again. And then it happened again. How many, how many can say that happened to you seven times in one day in your life? One person. All right, two people. <laughs> A three-year-old. Yeah, well... Maybe we should qualify that one. <laughs> that certainly, can, I could see where that would, uh, that would come about, yeah. <laughs> but more than likely, we have not had that happen seven times. In fact, we probably haven't had it happen six times. We may probably not have even had it five times, four times, three times. It may not have even happened to us in our lifetime twice. In one day. But he says, if it happens as much as seven times, forgive it. Now, this is not the meat of what this, this passage is talking about here. But, if we don't understand these first four verses, we don't understand where the rest of them come from. So, rebuke, repent, and forgive. I put this in your outline because I wanted to make sure that you got it. 
unfaithfulness to God is simply being faithful to our own will instead of His. That's just a simplified definition that came to me as I was meditating on these, these verses of Scripture. Unfaithfulness to God is simply being faithful to our own will instead of His. Remember Jesus in the garden? Not my will, but yours. You see, a person who repents, a person who changes their mind, will ultimately also have changed their behavior. If you come to a realization that something that you said is offensive, do you not take action to quit that? Most of us would, especially if we have a realization that way. Now, I want you to get this. I left a little bit of blank in there because I didn't quite want you jumping ahead on this one. Offenses. He's talking about offenses here. Offenses are our excuses for being faithful to our own will. Offenses are our excuses for being faithful to our own will. And when I am faithful to my will, I am not faithful to God's will. This is why it is impossible for you to carry around an offense and be faithful to God. Because your offenses are simply your excuses for why you're doing it your way. I'll give you some examples on this. Can you go over and and minister? Can you go over and do this for this particular person? I will not. That person did this. See, I'm carrying an offense. Therefore, it precludes me from being able to minister. Whenever God would tell us to do something, we simply say, no, because they did this. Now, you want an example from Scripture? Do you remember a certain individual by the name of Saul? His name was later changed to Paul. That God had an assignment for one of his ministers. And he said, I want you to go to such and such a house and I want you to minister to a man named Saul. And do you remember what the prophet said to the Lord. I have heard of this man. What was he regarding Paul? He was offended. Now he was offended for, for the kingdom of God. Not just for his own personal thing. Maybe he Paul had killed some people that he knew. I don't know. But he, he seemed to have an offense for the things of God. And when God said, no, I've called him. I need you to do this. He dropped it. He said, that's fine. But you see, not everybody will do that. Some people will hang on. No, I can't do that. And they're offended. And they won't go. How many of y'all know you cannot look at the news? And I know none of you do. But if you were one who did, if you looked at the news, you cannot help but see how many things people are offended about. People are just offended all over. Why? Because offended people will not 
do the will of God. So if the enemy can keep you offended, he can keep you out of the will of God. Still got more here. We're just in the introduction of this part. I put in there a principle. I don't know if you remember this a long time ago. I used to put a little colored marker next to the different principles in the outline that you could carry around with you, but I didn't get enough feedback that anybody actually saw that as beneficial, so I quit it. But I wrote it in here for this one because this is real important. I want you to get this one. This is a principle. This is a principle that I, I live by. This is a principle that I carry with me. It's not written down anywhere that I have to pull it out and look at it. It's just one of those things that I do. If it's not worth addressing now, it's not worth remembering later. In other words, here's the verse of Scripture. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If the brother or sister who has created an offensive uh, environment, done something in an offensive way, if it is not worth my time to rebuke them now, it is not worth me remembering later. Now, by remembering later, I mean two things. One, I don't mull over it myself. I let it go. Just like it said it or do forgive, I let it go. Because if I don't take the part to do what it says to rebuke, and with, once they ask forgiveness, then, then, um, then forgive them. If I don't go through that process, that doesn't leave me off the hook to let it go. I'm still on the hook for doing it. I just didn't go through the process of rebuking them, which is a gentle uh, process, not, not, not sharp. <coughs> but be gentle about it. I shared this story. I don't share this story too often, but I have shared it a couple of times. So maybe for some of you, this is a, re- a repeat. But this goes way, way back to when we started this church and I had a worship leader. He was a, he was a buddy of mine. We were good friends. This is one of those friends that I had in my life who could light a fire under me and I could light a fire under him. We could speak words to each other that to some would seem harsh. But to, to us, they were friendly. Extremely friendly. I appreciated when, uh, when I was someplace and he got on my case about something. I didn't get mad at him. I was appreciative. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for, I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm going in the wrong direction. I shouldn't be doing that. I should be going this way. And we would do that for each other and I appreciated it. And, uh, one time we were, he was on staff and we were in the office and there was a matter that had come up from the, the Sunday before. I don't even remember what the matter was. And so I brought it up to him and we were discussing it. And uh, afterwards, I think this was the day after because we didn't have any time to, to see each other that, that particular day, but the day after. And so we got done and we, we talked about it and we resolved how we would take care of that going forward. And I went back to what I was doing and he went back to what he was doing. And all of a sudden he looked up and he looked over to me and he goes, you just rebuked me, didn't you? I said, well, yeah. <laughs> see, it, it can be subtle. Now, sometimes if you subtly rebuke somebody and they don't get it, you have to step it up. But try and be gentle. It's far better to be gentle and restore them than it is to, to do something else. But I want you to get that principle. If it's not worth addressing now, it's not worth remembering later. 
Now, let me give you a case of how a lot of people go about. So-and-so gives you a look. You perceive that look is about you. And you go from there thinking, why did they look at me that way? I wasn't doing anything wrong. I didn't hurt them in any way. Why were they looking at me like that? And then we go over and we say, Mandy, did you see how that person looked at me? What did I do to offend them? I see, I didn't follow the scripture. If I saw them and they did something that offended me, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to go over and rebuke them or gently go over there and say, hey. (laughs) See, what I should have done was, if going over to the person and say, I I, I saw that look you gave me. Did, Did I do something? Oh no, I wasn't even thinking about you. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to look at you that way. Um, no, you haven't done anything. I love you. Oh man, I love you too. Give each other a hug and we go on our way. Now see, that's how you should have handled it. But instead, what most people will do is that we go over and we start talking in tow. Did you see? Am I not right? Or we go over and we say, Vanessa, so-and-so said this to me and I said this and they said this back. Don't I have a right to be offended? Have you ever done that with somebody? I'm not supposed to come over here and and vent this out this way. Where am I supposed to go? To the person who did it. You see, if it's not worth me taking it to the person who did it, it's not worth me remembering later. That's why I hold that up. up. And so if somebody does something that's, that's against me or a perceiver, the devil just wants to get in here and say, you see the way they looked at you. And if I don't have opportunity to uh, to bring that up, to to so-called rebuke them, I basically clear the air with them, then I just let it go. I just forget it. I don't carry it around. You got to do that. That's the word. You see, if I don't do that, I won't be faithful to my God because I'm going to be faithful to my will and principles. The things that I've got that are important to me. Let's go into verse 5. So they gets, he gets done teaching about offenses. Don't be offensive. Don't act in an offensive way. If somebody does something to you, rebuke them, talk to them about it. If they uh, have a change of mind, then forgive them. That's what he says to do. And so the apostle, apostles come to Jesus after this. Because there's no break here. They don't say that they went to another town or... Um, Something else happened in between. You'll notice that the, the next section, it does say something like that, but not here. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. It would seem that they're thinking, if I'm going to accomplish that, I need more faith. Have you ever thought that in order for you to do something in your life, you need more faith? How many have ever thought that? I need more faith in order to get that done. I am needing more faith. So there's a whole lot of us that are in the category that we have faced things in life and down the inside, I need more faith if that's going to happen. And the disciples are now faced with the challenge seven times, seven. You want me to do it seven times in the same day. Man, I need more faith for that to happen. That's not going on right now. So they said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, how many of you ever this verse before? Increase our faith. If you have faith as a mustard seed, 
You can say that this mulberry tree be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Now, there's been lots of sermons and things preached about the size of the mustard seed, that it's the smallest seed and grows into, you know, becomes all sorts of things and that, you know, uh, faith just needs to be a little bit. But here's the thing that we're missing with this. The disciples asked Jesus a question about the quantity of faith. Our quantity is not enough. And Jesus does not answer them the way they asked it. He does not answer them in a way of quantity. He is talking about the quality of faith. Most times we are looking at the quantity, how much faith I have. Jesus doesn't look at that. He looks at the quality of faith that is needed. That's the issue. You see, he calls it a seed. All right, well, we can look at the size of the seed and we can look at the type of the seed and we can look at what that seed eventually becomes. Well, what we are missing by doing all of that is that a seed is simply this. It is a life-giving force. Anytime you see seed, there is life. Seeds are life. In order for a seed to grow, it does not need to be bigger. You do not need more seeds. What you need is outside input onto the seed. In order for that seed to spring and grow. How many, my, 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 um, the, the grandkids were over yesterday and we did it, my wife did a project with them. She's, she's daring this way. She had potting soil. And little pots and some seeds. And so, you know, a little boy was over trying to help put the, the potting soil into the, into the container. How many of y'all know? It didn't, it didn't all get there. <laughs> we were, we were not necessarily a good aim and we weren't bothered by it. <laughs> just, it kind of went all over and we were fine. That's what we're doing. Um, and then he gave up on it. And then the little girl had the option of uh, the, the thing of, of putting the seeds in. Now, how many have ever opened up a seed container? When you open up a seed container, what is inside? Seeds, and there are all kinds of shapes. It depends on what you have. And we planted marigolds, and we planted wildflowers, and we planted magn- uh, the stinky ones. What are the stinky ones? Marigolds. They stink. They, they keep certain bugs away. We planted marigolds and we planted other things and we planted all these seeds in there. And each seed, whatever kind you get, the marigolds are a certain type. You know, they, you can tell a marigold seed just by looking at it if you've seen, been around. You see, oh, that's a marigold seed. I don't know what color it is, but I can tell that's a marigold seed. But when you open up that seed container, what is the condition of the seeds inside? They're dry. They're small. There is no life to those seeds at all. In order for those seeds to grow, what do they need? They need water. They need soil. They need sun. They need protection. There's a number of things that they need in order to become seeds because as long as they are in that pack of seeds, they are protected from light. They're protected from moisture. 
They're protected from soil. And so as long as they stay in that pack, and I've had some of those packs one year, two years, three years, it don't matter how long you had the pack, they stay seeds. But as soon as you put them into the pots with the soil and you put some water on, what happens to the seed? It immediately begins to grow. Because it's a seed. You see, you don't need more seeds. What you need is the stuff that makes the seed grow. And in the parable of the sower, the sower went out and sowed the seed. And the talk of that from there on becomes the soil condition, the sun, how much protection they had, being on the, the road, they're getting stepped on, the, the other threats that came to them, the thorns and the thistles, the birds that would come and eat them, all these other things would come about it. But the ones that fell on good soil had some protection, got the water that they needed, the sunlight that they needed. I put this in your outline for you. Faith is alive, not measured. You don't measure faith. It's alive. It grows. It is affected by all the things that give it life. And when you become offended, you cut off the life to your faith. I wrote this in your outline. Faith is merely a tool given to fulfill the commands of service to God. Faith is merely a tool that is given to fulfill the commands of service to God. You see, God has given commands and there's faith in us to get it done. God gave a command to Moses to go down to Pharaoh and get his people free. What did he need though? He needed faith. See, faith was there. Faith is, it's a tool to help him do the command that God gave. When Joshua took over for him, the faith that he had was a tool to accomplish doing what God said to do. When Gideon went out against war, God gave him a command, go and deliver my people. And faith was a tool to get him there. You see, we have commands that come from God and our faith activates that. Now, way back when we started this, there's a number of things that I've referred to here as we go along this process. And don't think that I've forgotten them if I haven't gotten into them yet. If you remember one and you want to drop it my way, feel free. But I have all kinds of notes on this and I'm just kind of, you know, wading on through and all right, which part are we going to hit this today? There's still, uh, remember that section we started on the, on the things of being faithful with that I said was going to be tough for you? We still have the toughest section to get through. We haven't touched it yet. We're, we're, we're doing some building up on y'all on, on this before we get in there. But we still have the toughest section of that to get to and we will, we will still get it. But way back when we first started this, uh, Corey hit me with a, a question at the end. And it was a good question. I said, would you, would you text that over to me? So he texted it over to me, his input on it, what his, his impression was. And we were talking about faith and faithfulness. And his, his question was, what is the difference between faithfulness and diligence? How many think that's a good question? So he put in the, in the text that he had, he had his little, little thing there. And I thought it was good. I've changed it ever so slightly. None of you will know what I changed, but Brother Corey will. <laughs> I know we'll hear this. I sent him a note. He said, I'm getting into that today. I didn't tell him this. I just said, listen. 
That was that was it. And he he's going to give it a try. Anyway, he put in here. He said the difference between faithfulness and diligence is that diligence is following a command, but faithfulness is following a command with the corresponding faith steps or actions. I thought that was pretty good. Sure can. The difference between faithfulness and diligence is that diligence is following a command. But faithfulness is following a command with corresponding faith steps or actions. Now, when you look at the Word of God and being faithful to the will of God, can you find a time when they are being faithful to what God has said that their faith wasn't involved? And yet over at work, you can be diligent to do what you're supposed to do at work and never have your faith kick in. So, faith is alive. You do not need someone to increase your faith, because that's actually what they're saying, add to our faith. I put that note in your outline there, so you, you saw that. That's the, the Greek out of it. When they, when they say increase our faith, they're saying add to our faith. Take what we have and add to it. We need more. And he didn't talk to him about that. He talked to him about seeds. You see, you've got to take the, the faith that you have and feed it. If you feed the faith that you have, it becomes what you need. Before we go on, let's just take a look at a few examples. Gideon had faith to do what God called him to do. He just, he wasn't walking in it. Remember the angel came to him as an almighty man of valor. He didn't see himself that way because he was not feeding it. But once he got into a place and he started feeding that faith, God said, do this. Go here. And he started doing those things. Then he had the, the faith. Moses, when he was behind the, at the, the burning bush, did he have faith? Did he think he had faith to do what God said to do? He's basically saying, no, send someone else. I can't do this. I cannot get this done. But once he stepped out and he began to do the things that God said to do and began to feed the faith that he had with the nutrients that it needed, did it not grow? And shortly after that, he's parting a Red Sea. Calling down plagues upon the earth with confidence because he was, he was feeding. He did not need more faith. He needed his faith to come alive. That's what the problem with most of us. We don't need more faith. We need the faith that we have to come alive. I've been talking in such a way, behaving in such a way, going in such a way, thinking in such a way that the faith that I have is not getting what it needs. And it stays there, dormant, doing nothing. And I thank God I need more. Because what I have isn't doing it. We've been deceived by the enemy. What Jesus is saying is, your faith is alive. Let's finish this off. Luke chapter 17, verse 7. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and sit down and eat. Now, this does, 
I don't know that this is necessarily in the thing, in the intention of Jesus here or not. But when I was reading this thing through, two things came to mind when he talked about this. Notice of all the things that the servants can do, he lists two activities. Doesn't mention cleaning the house. Doesn't mention going into the store and getting the groceries. He talks about two things. One is plowing a field. The second is tending the sheep. Do you remember when when he pulled Peter aside? And three times he said to him, one of the things he told him was, tend my sheep. The other is plowing a field. You are sowing. You've got two things going on there. The work of an evangelist and the work of a pastor. Well, I don't know if that's what he intended. But I'm telling you this. As far as the kingdom is concerned, these are two things he pulled out. Of all the things he could be pulling out, this is what he pulled out. Sow the word. Go out there and sow that word and tend the sheep. Let's go on. But will he not rather say to him, let's finish that verse up. Come at once and sit down and eat. So the servant comes in and he has either been plowing the field or he's tending the sheep. One or the other. And he comes in, how many know, whichever way you're doing, tending the sheep, plowing the field, you worked hard. You worked hard. Don't know what the master was doing. Doesn't talk about what the master is doing. He comes in and what is expected of him? I'm ready for dinner. Go. Boy, it was hot outside plowing that field today, boss. No. He says, what do you, what do you think is going to happen? When he comes in from that plow in the field, do you think he's going to say, oh, come, come over here, you tired soul. Come over, sit down. Let me make some dinner for you. Is that what happens? Now he uses the, the, the phraseology here of a, of a, of a servant. These are not people that have the jurisdiction over their own lives. Why does he use that? Is, is, God in, is God in favor of slavery? No. You know what? You know who initiated slavery? Don't try and think of a race of people. Don't try and go back in history and see how far it went. The person who initiated slavery was the devil who enslaved humankind to sin. And from that point on, he inspired one nation one race to enslave another because he loves that mentality. God is about freedom, not slavery. Every time you see slavery inspired in this world, it is done by the enemy. But he brings this out here because we can understand what slavery was to sin by understanding what slavery is in the world. So if you ever see that being used, don't think that God instilled it. God started it. God did not. God is about freedom. It is the enemy, the devil, that is about enslaving people. 
But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I've eaten and drunk. And afterward, you will eat and drink. So in other words, not only make it, but wait until I'm all done. And after I'm all done, then you can eat something. In verse 9, this is real fun. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? This is Jesus talking. I think not. That's not going to be going on. There's no thank yous. This is what's expected. This is what you're supposed to do. So, likewise, you. Hmm. When you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Now, think back. Maybe you have to go back a long way. You were in service to God. You were doing things for the kingdom. And you put everything that you had in it. And all you wanted was someone to say thank you. You ever thought that? I just wish somebody would appreciate all that I put in. And when somebody doesn't, what happens on the inside? Once that thought is sown, someone should appreciate you. And of course, our attention is brought that no one does. What happens next? We become offended. What Jesus is saying here, don't you expect to thank you? You're a servant. You're doing what was commanded. Don't expect to thank you. If one comes, it's great. But don't expect to thank you. Don't let the enemy get in your mind that I should be thanked for what I'm doing. People need to appreciate what I'm doing. Don't they see how hard I'm working for the kingdom? Because if the devil can get you to begin thinking about what reward you should get, then you can become offended. In the story that he gave here, picture this. Here's this servant out in the field plowing hard all day. And the enemy comes and sows the thought, you have worked so hard today. And today is hotter than it usually is. And you plowed more fields than most people have ever done in one day. When you get inside, your master is going to be so pleased at seeing all that you did. He is just going to thank you for what you did. You're just going to sow that little thing in there. And then when you come in, you're expecting, oh, he is going to be so glad for what I did, so happy. And I get in there and he says, make me dinner. What am I now able to do? To be offended. And once I get offended, I am no longer faithful to the master's commands. I am faithful to me. You see, I need to receive this and I should get this and this should happen for me. And my rights and my needs become elevated and the needs of the kingdom become less. And that's the situation the enemy wants you in because if he can get you there, he can start sowing all kinds of other seeds 
And pretty soon, not only are you offended, but now you are in outright rebellion. You have left the things of God. And you are outright serving the kingdom of, of Satan. Have you ever wondered how do people go from serving God to walking away and being against the things of God? It all started with someone being offended. Someone didn't take care of it right. We didn't go after it the way they were supposed to go after it. <coughs> Keep your attitude right. Keep your attitude right. I know that when I get to heaven, what we're working for is to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we're looking for. That's it. But folks have the attitude that when I get done in a day, I just did what God said to do. That's it. But you did it. Keep your attitude right. Don't let the enemy come in and start messing with you. Don't have an attitude with God that he ought to be grateful to have you on the team. God, I don't know what you're going to do when I'm not here anymore. Don't become like Elijah. God, I'm it. I'm the only one you got. And I happen to be a really good team member too. You better appreciate the stuff I'm doing. And all the grief I'm taking. And all the threats that are coming against me. I hope you appreciate this. See, we are called to be sons of service, not sons of selfish ambition. We're not called to be sons of, I'm going to become this and I'm going to be able to do this. We are called to serve. God, I am your servant. And if you want me to go out in the fields today and plow, I will go out in the fields today and plow. Remember in the parable of the prodigal son, there were two sons. The first son was selfish and he wanted his reward and he got it. The second son was serving but he wanted a thank you. He never got it. And when he finally got mad enough he let it out. You never gave me a kid. Celebrate with my friends. I'm out here working hard for you all day. See, neither had a heart right. Their hearts were wrong. If you let your attitude become bad, your faith will lose its life qualities and become dead. If you let your attitude become bad, your faith will lose its life qualities and become dead. Not greater and not lesser. Because the question is not that. It is dead or alive. Turn over with me to James chapter 2, verse 17. Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will, will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But you, but, but do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Faithfulness is the work of God. We do obeying His commands. Faithfulness 
is the works of God. We do obeying His commands. Don't let the enemy come in with a bad attitude. Don't get a bad attitude with your spouse. Don't get a bad attitude with your kids. Don't get a bad attitude with the people you go to church with, with the people that you work with, with the people that you are related to. Don't get a bad attitude. Because if you get a bad attitude, the enemy will find some way to work in an offense. And you will become more focused on what you should have, what people should do, what people should say, than you are on what you are supposed to do for God. You will become like the servant who comes in from the field and is thinking about how that master should receive him after his hard day of work. Don't do it. When you come in and that master says, make dinner, glory to God, I'm here to make dinner. I'm here to get things ready. And I know I'm hungry, but I'm here to take care of the master. You see, if we're faithful servants, whatever the master wants and whatever the master needs, I'm here to provide it. I don't care who else recognizes it. All that matters is God has called me. The faith that he has put in me is a tool to accomplish the commands that he has given me. Some of those commands are written in the word of God. Some of those commands are part of my calling. Some of those commands are things that he spoke to me directly about. But know that the enemy is trying to bring other things in through offense or whatever way that he can to get you less mindful of the commands of God and more mindful of what you deserve and what you should have. And it doesn't care what catches you as long as something does. Because then you won't be faithful. I don't need more faith to accomplish what I need to do. What I need to do is take the faith that I have and feed it the right stuff. The thoughts of my mind are not on defeat and failure. The thoughts of my mind are what the Word of God says. Think on these things. That's a command. And that's what I do. The Word of God says, don't worry or be anxious. So, that's a command. I don't worry. I don't become anxious. Because if I worry and become anxious, I take the faith that I have and I starve it of the things that it needs. And it becomes dead. Don't let your faith become dead. Let your faith be alive. Because when it's alive, it continues to grow. How many have ever seen those pictures of trees that are planted in places and they just continue to grow and they grow out of cars and they grow out of rocks and they find a a place inside of a house and they grow until they split the house apart because it just keeps growing. You see, your faith will grow and push everything else out of the way as long as you give it what it needs. Feed it the word. Starve it of thoughts of anger 
and bitterness and wrath, unforgiveness, offense. Starve it. Refuse to let it have any of those. No, no, no. I'm feeding my faith what it needs. And if I keep feeding my faith, it pushes everything else out of the way. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you for the faith that we have. It is already in us. We do not need to be focused on how much faith is in there. What we need to focus on is that we are feeding our faith what it needs. For if we grow our faith, and our faith remains alive, it will push away everything in its path. It won't stop. Father, I thank you that we are growing in you. We want to be mindful of you. We want to see ourselves as servants of the Most High God. All that matters is the will of the Father and what He wants to do. And Father, what You have commanded us, we will do. And just as in other places in the Word of God, whatever You commanded people to do, it took some steps of faith. But when we feed our faith on the right stuff, we become powerful. If we starve it like Moses did on the wilderness, we don't think we can do anything. If we starve it like Gideon did, hiding out from the enemy, we don't think we can do it. How many other people starved their faith and did not think they could do it? But your eyes look for those who do. There are many Davids in the world. David fed on things that were positive, fed on things of what he could do, fed on things that God had already done. And he was faced with a challenge that no one else would rise to. He looked at it and said, My God and the faith that is in me, we will overcome. Glory be to your name. Father, we love you. We want nothing else to get in our way. No offense from anybody. If somebody does something that rubs us the wrong way, we will do what the Word of God says and deal with it right then or we will walk away and let it go. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Sister Marguerite. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, and I also want to say uh shout out a good morning to those that are listening online. Uh, we are so blessed and so thankful to be here today. Um, we always enjoy the message that is preached, um, and we can take something from it to enhance our lives as we go through the next week, uh, next month. And um, I just so appreciate um, the clarity and, and the, the message about offense because it's something that permeates everything that uh, we have to do with um, offenses coming at us, uh, you know, temptations to take offense. And the way to, uh, to defeat that is so simple um, as we feed our faith 
starve those things that would try to rob us of our faith, that we can grow uh, and be uh, the people that, that God wants us to be. So I so appreciate that um, today. I'll take that with me and um, just feed on that because it's very simple. It's didn't say it was easy, but it's very simple what we need to do. So um, I, I really appreciate that. Um, I want to, uh, before we leave today, read some praise reports, but I would just want to remind you that our bulletin has a lot of things in it that, uh, uh, different events that are coming up and please just take a moment, um, uh, sometime this week to just look at it and see the different things that are going on, uh, and avail yourselves of that. Um, on Wednesday, we're going to have this coming Wednesday, Sister Ento. <clears throat> went on a missionary trip, and she'll be sharing with us on Wednesday about that. So that's going to be very exciting. Just ask that you want to come out uh, to uh, be with us on Wednesday. And if you can't join us uh, here, join us by way of Facebook. Um, there will be a men's breakfast on Saturday, uh, May 18th. So all the men uh, usually enjoy that. So um, just make yourself make yourself available for that if you can. And then the ladies' breakfast will be on Saturday, May 25th. So um, these things are um, not just things that we do uh, out of some obligation to just, you know, check off the boxes. But these things draw us closer together. And um, I can say for the ladies' uh, fellowship that we really do have fun um, when we join together. And we actually um, can strengthen each other because things that are said uh, – they're just, life is happening to each and every one of us. And as we hear how God is working in a person's life, then we can take those things and prayerfully apply them to our lives. So there are things that we um, enjoy and we can have uh, a sense of just being together and being strengthened by each other. So please avail yourselves of that. Um, our praise reports today, we had one from Sister Ethel. And she gave the uh, scripture in Matthew, uh, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. We won't read it right now, but the scripture is talking about um, taking no thought for um, the different things that apply to life and different things like that, but to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. Um, she says in her praise report she had meetings this week with the team and she scheduled that she scheduled last week. She went back to this passage in order not to have these conversations or this thought process going over in her head. What am I going to do? And um, she actually forgot about them. And then as they actually began to happen, even on the day of the meeting, she was not worried about how it would go because she was thinking in her mind about the scripture. Don't take thought of those things, but seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things uh, that you need to take care of will be added unto you. Sister Candy uh, says that a friend that had the prostate cancer found out that it has not spread. So they're giving him treatments. And he is very, uh, <laughs> she's saying that he was very disappointed because he was he was kind of ready to go home. But he'll stay here a little longer. And um, he wants to thank all of you that have prayed for him. You know, the uh, the pull to go to heaven as we know and understand the things that God has prepared for us can be pretty strong. But um, as long as we are here on this earth, we have a work to do. So 
Uh, we're so thankful that um, his condition is getting better. Sister Susan is praising God for her neighbor um, who did landscaping in front of a yard and he did weeding and he mulched it and it was for free. And those things, when they occur, like I said, they can just bring a smile to your face because um, people are doing things for you. You haven't asked them and you just look at it as a blessing of the Lord. So she is um, praising God for that. And Sister Mandy is saying that um, they were in a tight spot with one of the uh, companies, and she didn't know how they'd pull through, but God did it. And he has done it again and again and again. Money came through to cover the deficit that they were facing. And so we are just so thankful. We are blessed to hear these uh, wonderful praise reports that are coming, and they do they can serve to... Uh, support our faith and our desire to see things happen in our lives because God is no respecter of a person. If he'll do it for one, he'll do it for you. So as you go today, greet one another and um, just take these things that we have uh, heard today in the service and be blessed.